If you have a Bible, please open with me to Matthew, Ephesians chapter 5. And this morning we look at just one verse, actually just the first part of this verse. We've been going through Ephesians, <clears throat> sometimes several verses at a time, and sometimes just one verse at a time. This morning we will have a very serious and sobering look at what this verse says, Ephesians 5, 18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Earlier, the Apostle Paul had used the positive-negative principle, do this, don't do that. For example, he said, let the thief no longer steal, that's the negative, but let him work with his hands, the positive. And we see that principle again in this verse. The negative is, do not be drunk with wine, for in that there is dissipation. We're going to concentrate on that part of the verse today, and God willing, the second part next week. Now let me also add that uh, a member of our church preached a similar message many years ago, our brother Gary Catherwood, and I have copies of the CD in the lobby. I encourage you to listen to it. Gary is an authority on the subject. He was a judge for many years adjudicating DUI cases, and he is one of the leading experts in Springfield. The text says, do not get drunk. That's a direct command from God. Therefore, to get drunk is a sin. Some have translated this, stop getting drunk, because many of the Ephesians to whom Paul wrote this had regularly got drunk in their pagan worship services, for example, concerning the God Bacchus. But the Bible frequently says, do not get drunk, and describes some of the evils of drunkenness. Let me just read a few of the verses. Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs often mentions the evils of liquor. Earlier, Brother Vic read from Proverbs 23. Let me read a couple of other verses from there. Earlier in that chapter, Proverbs 23, he read 29 to 35. Let me also read verses 20 and 21. Do not mix with drunkards or with gluttonous eaters of men, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with Rags. First Samuel 1.14, how long will you be drunk? Put away wine away from you. Isaiah 5.11 and 22 says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night till wine inflames them. Inflames them. The old American Indians were right when they called it fire water. Isaiah continues, 
Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. Isaiah 28, 7. They have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink. They are out of the way. Hosea 4, 11. Whoredom, wine and new wine enslave the heart. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 21, 34. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, that means partying, drunkenness, and cares of this life. Romans 13, 13. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, partying, and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. And there are many other verses. Galatians 6 lists drunkenness together with murder and immorality and a long catalog of evils. Someone might object and say, well, why not? What's wrong with getting drunk? God says it's wrong. End of argument. He says it is sin. Do not get drunk. So let's look at it in different respects. Being drunk lowers a person's resistance to temptation. His self-control is gone. The more he drinks, the less he is in control. He is open to all sorts of temptations. He is already in a state of sin. When a person is drunk, not only does, not, does not he think logically, he does not think spiritually. He can't worship God when he's drunk, even if he is a Christian. When he gets drunk, his conscience is turned off. Yes, it is pleasurable, but not everything that is pleasurable is acceptable to God. There are sinful pleasures such as immorality and drunkenness. In preparation for this message, I read the commentary by the great Martin Lloyd-Jones. By the way, he had been a leading doctor in England that became a preacher, my favorite preacher. And in his exposition of this verse, listen very closely to what this godly doctor preacher said. Drink is not a stimulus. It is a depressant. It depresses first and foremost the highest centers of all in the brain. They are the very first to be influenced by drink. They control everything that gives a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance. The most primitive elements in the brain come up and take control. And so a man feels better temporarily. He has lost his sense of fear. The man believes that he is being stimulated. What is really true of him, it has become more of an animal. His control over himself is diminished. He's right. The text says, do not be drunk with wine, for it leads to dissipation, where there could be translated excess, debauchery, degeneracy, shamefulness, shameful acts and words, decadence, obscenity, false bravado, recklessness, or a person just cannot think logically. A man or a woman that is drunk will do things when he is drunk that he would never do when he is sober. And sometimes when he wakes up, he is ashamed of what he had done. 
We find examples in the Bible. Noah got drunk and acted shamefully. Lot, even worse, committed gross immorality when he was drunk. Belshazzar, the king of Persia, got drunk and committed shameless sacrilege and other such things. And this is a major problem in America. Even with not only teenagers, but pre-teenagers, adolescents, even that are not even 10 years old yet. One statistic is the average age of that first drink is as young as 13. That's a shame on America. Half of all automobile accidents involve liquor, broken families, lost jobs, violence even with spouses and children, rape, arson, theft. I'd like to see the statistics on how many murders are committed while someone is under the influence. I think the statistic would be very high. Some people say, well, I can't be held accountable for committing a crime if I'm drunk. No, the ancient Romans, pagan as they were, had one good jurisprudence principle. He that commits a crime while drunk should be punished when sober. It often goes together with the worst of crimes. Just ask Alex Johnson, our policeman in this church. He'll say almost every day he sees liquor together with crime. Did you know that children of alcoholics have three to four times the rate of alcoholism? It runs in the family. Now most people get drunk to feel good. Just think of Times Square on New Year's Eve or the average bar, fraternity parties. But other people drink not so much to feel good, but to forget. They want to forget their divorce, the death of a child, the loss of a job. So they drink to forget, and they feel happy temporarily. But then they wake up, and they face the same problems, and they even have a hangover. Alcohol never helps any problem. It is like pouring gas on a fire. Ironic, isn't it, that alcohol is highly inflammable. Sadly, alcohol and even drunkenness is glorified on TV, movies, and so on. Jokes about the town drunk. You know, I like to watch some of the old shows, but I cringe when I watch those episodes of Andy Griffith. And there's Otis, the town drunk, and everybody laughing at him. I sometimes look at that poor man and think, there are wives out there watching this whose husbands are just like that. What do they think when they see people joking about the town drunk? And then I remember another favorite TV show that I still watch from when I was young, Gunsmoke, a great western. Sadly, it was often filmed in Miss Kitty's bar, but there was one episode that was very poignant. You may not know. They, they had the character Louie, the town drunk. But there was one episode, he was there in the Long Branch Saloon and the bad guys were trying to get him to do something bad and he says no. So they brought out a bottle of whiskey and said, we'll give you this and all you'll ever want to drink. And they poured the drink and said, come on, Louie. And you could tell Louie, everything in him wanted that drink because he was an alcoholic. He was tempted and he said no. And with his head held high, he walked away 
The rest of the story is when the director yelled cut, everybody broke into applause because the actor playing Louis the Drunk had been an alcoholic. But he had turned his back on that and got help. There are many today that are caught in the bondage of alcoholism and drinking. By the way, when it says here, do not be drunk with wine, that includes whiskey, beer, gin, and a long list of other alcoholic beverages, and, listen closely, drugs. Because the principle that he is opposing is intoxication. Whether from a bottle, a needle, a reefer cigarette, it's all wrong because it's all intoxicating, and drugs is twice as intoxicating as the strongest liquor. Unfortunately, marijuana is now legal in most states. It's been decriminalized. Did you know that in a recent vote, all drugs were legalized in Washington State and Oregon? May God have mercy on our country. I predict that one day all drugs will be legal in all states. Not just the far left, but the libertarians are calling for that. This is often defended as recreational use. And they use recreation like they're talking about baseball or checkers. I don't like to call it recreational. Is there a place for the medical use of marijuana? Some doctors say yes, some say definitely no. I'm not a doctor, but I would recommend instead of marijuana, try other medicines that can be legitimately prescribed. Someone will object and say, well, listen, Smoking weed is no different than having a beer or a glass of wine. And I'll say to that person, you're either a bald-faced liar or you've never, ever done both of them. I have. And I can tell you there's a big difference. Marijuana is a lot stronger than just simply gin or whiskey. Someone objects to that. The sole purpose of weed and others is Intoxication. Years ago, our president used to say, we're in a war on drugs. You don't hear that phrase anymore. It's like we've capitulated. But I remember at the height of the war on drugs, old oh, 20-something years ago, Jesse Jackson stood up and said, yes, we're at war. And someone said, well, why don't we just simply decriminalize it all? And Je Jesse said, I've never heard of winning a war by surrendering. He's right. And it's gotten worse with fentanyl since then. The text says, do not be drunk with wine. Getting drunk too often for too long can lead to alcoholism. And people say, is alcoholism a sin or a disease? It's actually both. I prefer to call it a sinful addiction. Yes, getting drunk and becoming an alcoholic does involve sin. But it also is an addiction. You may not know that. A person drinks too long for too, too often... He's addicted to it. He's got to have it. Just like if he's addicted to fentanyl or cocaine. He's hooked. He needs treatment. There's that craving. Got to have that drink. And so the alcoholic lies. He hides the bottle. Some of them manage to hold down a job temporarily and they just can't wait to get home and open the bottle. The Bible talks about this, this craving. For example, we read earlier from Proverbs, a bad sign of an alcoholic is when he has that first drink early in the morning. 
He can't wait until the rest of the day. He does it as soon as he wakes up. It's a bad sign. Alcoholic drinks not just to feel good, but to avoid the withdrawal of not having to drink. Being an alcoholic shortens his lifespan, creates cirrhosis of the liver and many other harmful effects. It breaks down his health, and they often die young. And they get desperate, just like a drug addict will. You know there's a, you do know there's a close relationship between being addicted to heroin, cocaine, fentanyl, and most serious crimes, armed robbery, murder. Very I mean, all the experts know this. And the Bible also addresses someone that is addicted to alcohol, gets desperate. It even mentions a case where a man is a hardcore alcoholic and he even sells his own daughter to get that bottle. That does happen today. Now some people will be in denial. And they'll joke and say, I'm not an alcoholic. I can stop anytime I want. <laughs> I've done it a hundred times. To which I challenge them, can you lay off the liquor for even one month? I dare you. And they said, well, I don't, don't want to. And I said, try it, and you might find out you're hooked. Don't be in denial. Face it. Get help. Now, let's look at the worst cases of alcoholism. The hardcore, they can't keep a job. They've either deserted their family or their family's deserted them. Some check in for detox centers or a hospital. Do you know what goes on in there? Now, there are medications that can help, but sometimes in the hard cases, I'll tell you what happens. You ever heard of the DTs, delirium tremens? This is what was mentioned there, back there in Proverbs 3,000 years ago. Person going through this is locked up, maybe in a padded cell, and he begins to hallucinate things that are not there. But it's not pleasurable it's a nightmare because he's awake and he's going through withdrawal symptoms and he begins to see little animals. He begins to see mice chewing on his bare feet, snakes crawling up his legs, insects and beetles everywhere, spiders falling from the ceiling, a dog roaming around with the head of an angry man, scared to death and he thinks it's real. It's a nightmare, and he begins to scream uncontrollably. And then in comes a nurse or an orderly with either a straight jacket or an injection to calm the man down with a sedative. That happens. Now, sometimes medications help, but this is the other side of alcoholism. Some that are not in detox just simply love it, live in the gutter in their own vomit and waste, begging You've seen them. Last time I was in L.A. in San Francisco, I saw these poor men, and I felt like weeping for them. That's what liquor will do, especially alcoholism. Alcoholics often die young. They've wrecked their health. There is such a thing as alcohol poisoning. You've heard about it, that at fraternity parties. Binge drinking, a person drinks so much, it becomes poisonous, and it kills him. Or they can overdose, suicide. And then, of course, there's not only the hangover the next day or they pass out. There is such a thing as blacking out. 
Let me explain what that is. That's when a person drinks to a certain level. He's not only intoxicated, he doesn't remember it the next day. He doesn't remember what bad things he did. He doesn't even remember being at the party. Now, let me tell you a true story that was told to me by someone that knew about this firsthand. The case was about an alcoholic that went to a party, started drinking, drinking more and more, and then got very drunk, got in his car and drove home, passed out, but he had already blacked out. The next morning, policemen arrived at his home, and the man staggered to the door, and the policeman said, are you such and such? Yes. Did you go to a certain party last night? Uh, I remember going to the party. Uh, do you remember drinking? Uh, I remember the first drink. Officer, I don't remember anything after that. Uh, you don't remember driving home drunk? Uh, no, I, I don't remember anything. You don't rem Well, let me tell you what you did. You had an accident. You killed somebody. And we had a witness that copied down your license number and we tracked it down to you. Mister, you better sit down. You killed someone. It was your own little daughter. You're under arrest. DUI, fleeing the scene of an accident, manslaughter. When he went on trial, the man had completely fallen apart and never recovered emotionally. I killed my own daughter, and I didn't even know it. That does happen. They don't tell you about the ravages of alcoholism down at the local bar, do they? Or in the whiskey ads. They don't tell you how it can lead to crime and other such things. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the world of alcoholism. Someone will say, but wait a second, preacher. Not everybody that drinks gets drunk, and not everybody that gets drunk becomes an alcoholic. Why not drink in moderation? Well, let's get the whole scope of this from the Bible. Yes, the Bible does allow some drinking of alcohol in certain circumstances. Psalm 104, 14, and 15, for example. 1 Timothy 5, 23, Paul said to young Timothy, take a little wine for the sake of your stomach. But let's put that in context. They didn't have much medicine back then. Rarer would be the doctor today that say take medicine. You don't want to take wine if you've got a stomach ulcer. There are other things, modern medicine, Maalox, for example, and other things. So you don't have to take a little wine for the sake of your stomach. Notice it says a little wine. Proverbs 31, 6 and 7 says, give strong drink to him who is dying and wine to those that are bitter of heart. In other words, it was a painkiller. You've seen the old cowboy movies. A guy's got a bullet in him and he's screaming. And so they say, get the guy drunk and then drag that bullet out of him. Put him out of his misery. Or if a person is dying, give him a strong dose of liquor to ease the pain as he's dying. That's what they did for Jesus. You remember when he first was crucified, they offered him this sponge filled with this uh, mixture of alcohol and myrrh, and they put it on a stick, but he turned it down. Why? He turned it down because it would numb the suffering he wanted to suffer for those next few hours. And then when the atonement was made, they offered it again, and he took it. The point was, the Jews there remembered Proverbs 31 and said, Have mercy on this poor man. 
You see, strong drink can act like an analgesic for extreme pain. But that's not necessary today because we have morphine, we have Dilaudid, we have other strong painkillers. So a person does not have to get drunk to ease the pain. And of course, this is no excuse for drinking to drown your sorrows. In the early Lord's Supper, they did use wine, but 1 Corinthians 11 says it was being misused by many to get drunk. We'll get back to that later. So there are cases, exceptional as they are, where God would allow getting drunk, never uh, allows drinking, but never to get drunk. But let's get the whole counsel of God. Compare scripture with scripture. Let's get the rest of the story. For example, alcohol will hurt your testimony if you're a Christian, even if you're not drunk. What will your friends and neighbors think when they see you drinking? I knew a man that was a very godly Christian, but he went to a party and got drunk. And he came to the elders and said, I have to step down from being a deacon. I've hurt my testimony. I acted like a fool when I drank too much. When you drink liquor, you're actually financially supporting the liquor industry. You're subsidizing alcoholism. When I was in seminary for one year, I lived in a small apartment above a Skid Row mission. You know what a Skid Row mission is. These poor men that are alcoholics. I mean, the worst cases in the gutter and all the rest of that. And so I'd help out and I'd sit with them and tell them about Jesus. I often preach to them. The director of the mission was a very godly man. This was a Christian mission. And he told me that when he was first hired there, he went to the board meeting and they looked over the budget and he says, what's this large contribution that comes in like every month or every so often? And they said, oh, that's, that comes from the local distillery. He hit the ceiling. He says, you mean the people that get our people drunk and into this condition, they're giving money to us? He says, not anymore. We're putting a stop to this. He said, this is blood money. They're trying to ease their conscience and they're trying to bribe us. We should have nothing to do with the liquor industry. What else? It's a waste of money. It's a bad example to children, even if you drink just a little bit. Years ago, I was out in Los Angeles visiting a preacher, doing some preaching out there, and after the evening service, he said, Kirk, come over to my house, and got the elders there, and they're all sitting around, and they were all drinking wine, beer, liquor, smoking cigars, and having a jolly time, and said, we have the liberty to smoke a cigar like Spurgeon, forgetting that Spurgeon gave up smoking. And they say, I have the liberty to drink. And I look down the hallway to see their children. And I'm thinking, what example are they showing to those children? A bad example. Even a little bit of alcohol can lower your defenses and you start saying and doing foolish things. I was at a New Year's Eve party for Christians and Someone brought out a bottle, and the preacher just had a small drink. And I noticed, since he was not accustomed to drinking, he began to talk and act foolishly, and I was embarrassed. You know that every summer I spend a few weeks going back to seminary to do research. I won't name which one because I don't endorse it, but I use their library. And I often would stay in their dormitories and Oh, the other students, very, very liberal. Oh, there's Kurt the Calvinist again. Hey, Kurt, how you doing? How's your studies? And I remember one Friday night, they, a bunch of them came in. They said, 
Congratulate us, Kurt. We just passed our PhD examinations. You can call me Dr. Such and Such. And I said, well, congratulations. They said, we're going to go out and celebrate. Why don't you come with us? And I said, well, what are you going to do? I'm not kidding. That man pulled out a bottle of whiskey and said, we're going to go out and get drunk. I'm thinking, you're getting drunk celebrating getting a PhD in theology. Something's wrong with that. It had warped their judgment. Another principle, Romans 14 says, consider the weaker brother. You may have this liberty, but that person would be led into sin. He's a recovering alcoholic, for example. He sees you drinking, he's going to think it's okay for him. You have led your weaker brother into sin. Christians should live by a higher standard. You may want to look at 1 Corinthians 10.23 where the Apostle Paul says, there are some things that are lawful but are not expedient. Now look at that very closely. In some cases, perhaps a little alcohol under certain circumstances might be allowed, but it would not be expedient. The principle would apply, for example, if you are a Christian living in India, you have the liberty to eat meat. But if you're living in a country of Hindus, you're going to give up that liberty because they'll think that you're like a cannibal. So you see, not everything that is lawful is wise or expedient. And I would throw alcohol into this category. Now, this is especially true, the Bible says, to those that are in positions of authority. They should not drink. Listen to the word of God. Proverbs 31, 4 and 5. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes to drink intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert justice of all the afflicted. He's not just talking about the king, but princes who had lesser authority. What if our president was just a little tipsy and a major emergency happened like 9-11? His judgment would be at least partially impaired and our nation would be at risk. All would be all in authority should abstain. Parents, especially fathers, should abstain. Pastors and elders. First Timothy three warns about those that are elders; they should be held to a higher standard and not drink. Ladies and gentlemen, I haven't had a drink since the day I was converted. Some of you have heard my testimony. My teenage years still haunt me. I was getting drunk two or three nights a week together with marijuana, hashish, LSD, mescaline, and a whole bunch of other ones. It was a nightmare. Until May 10th, 1972, Jesus freed me from all of that. And I have never gone back. I've never even wanted to go back to drugs or alcohol. God can deliver a person. So this, that verse tells that Leaders should be held to a higher standard and set the right moral example. So, in theory, a person might drink wine in small moderation, but given all these other biblical principles, I would say very, very, very few could ever do so rightly. Better to be safe than sorry. You know the old story about a truck driver going around a very narrow highway on the side of a mountain, and the policeman said, um, uh, how close can you get to the falling off the cliff? He says, I don't know. I try to stay as close to the mountain as possible. We should try to be safe rather than to temptation, play with temptation with alcohol. 
if you never drink, you'll never get drunk. And if you never drink, you'll never become an alcoholic. Better safe than sorry. One application of this is this is why we use grape juice at communion. I don't want to answer to God and say I gave a cup to a teenager, a cup of wine to a teenager. Also, what about recovering alcoholics? I'll tell you a story. Some of you heard me talk about Big John back in New Orleans. He's converted about six months before I was. Big John, he stood about six foot eight. Tough guy when, before he became a Christian. He was an alcoholic, in and out of prisons. Used to beat up other drunks, take their money and go buy liquor. Everybody stayed away from Big John. Until a good Christian friend of mine named Mike told him about Jesus. And he became a wonderful Christian. Big, he never even learned to read or write. But he had the heart of a child. He loved Jesus. In my first year as a Christian, I used to take him to different churches. He didn't have a driver's license, of course. Couldn't get one. And we'd take him to different Bible studies and churches. And I remember one good Friday, I think this would have been 1973, coming home from one church, we passed a Lutheran church that was still going on. And he says, hey, Court, let's go in there. And I said, yeah, I know the preacher. Well, it was good Friday, and they were having communion with wine. Now, Big John had already been going to Pentecostal and Baptist churches that used grape juice. So when they served it, he took it down and began to shake. He says, take me home, Kurt. And we didn't get very far down the road before he said, stop. And he got out and was violently sick. I just knelt beside him and said, that's okay, John. And after a while, he began to feel better. He says, Kurt. Now, don't laugh. He said, why do they give you a shot of whiskey at that church? I said, no, it's not whiskey. Well, mine was, Kurt. I said, no, it's wine, John. He says, don't they know recovering alcoholics can't even have one teaspoon of alcohol? Or it'll create this violent chemical reaction. I said, John, I'm so sorry. I'll take you home. Your mother will take care of you, John. That's one reason we don't serve Wine at communion, grape juice is acceptable. We don't allow liquor on the premises here, even at weddings or receptions. We don't want to be an enabler. You remember David got Uriah drunk, and that only added to his sin. Friends and even parents will urge their children to drink, not just by their bad example, but to say, well, they got to learn somehow. Here, kid, have a beer. Be like dad. Listen to what God says. Habakkuk 2.15. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle even to make him drunk. Christians should never work in the liquor industry as bartenders, liquor stores, distilleries. Those that do will have to answer to God one day. Yes, some of them, like those that donated to that Skid Row mission, will say, look, I can't be held accountable for what that person does when he leaves the bar. Yes, you are accountable to God. If you sell him that drink, or if you just simply give it to your buddy, God holds you accountable. Remember what Jesus said about those that lead people astray, better to have a millstone tied around their neck. Maybe you didn't get drunk, but if you gave something to someone else that did get drunk, God holds you accountable. Bible also says those that get drunk regularly and without repentance will not go to heaven. 
this is evidence that they're not truly saved. Now, let me read a few verses that's strong words from God. Galatians 5, 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, partying, and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I also tell you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Very similar words are found in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. The unrepentant person that drinks regularly to excess, thereby gives evidence he's not. We're not talking about someone that slips into that and then repents, but we're talking about people that defend it and regularly do it. The Bible says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They need to repent. Now, I've heard objections. This last week, I read one person said, well, Martin Luther often got, well, he didn't get drunk, but he always drink that German beer. And I'd say, well, wait a second. The Bible, not Martin Luther. Can't, Martin Luther is our, our example. The Bible is our standard. And I read this little thing by a preacher, conservative, defending not only beer and wine. He had lists and would grade. He said, oh, yeah, Lohenbaugh is good and Miller Lite and it, and he said, yes, you have liberty, do it. He was not only defending it, but endorsing it. Here's another objection. It's my business, my choice, whether I drink or even get drunk. To which I say, no, it's God's business. It's his choice. And he says, no. Others will say, well, that's legalism. I said, no, it's the word of God. And it's true wisdom. Another person said, well, I have the liberty. Yes, but Galatians 5 says you do not have the liberty to misuse it and to get stronger into sin or to lead others astray. Don't misuse your liberty. Others will say, well, my friends will be offended if I don't drink with them. There's a polite way to decline. And if they are offended, then you just get up and walk out. You don't need that kind of company. Others will say, especially young people, it's cool, everybody's doing it. Then everybody is sinning. Others will say, but not all that those that get drunk become alcoholics. But many do. Where is the alcoholic that says, I intentionally became an alcoholic? No, by gradations they slid into it. Listen, when you start drinking, you have no guarantee that you will not become an alcoholic. You've taken the first step on a slippery slope. Or then another objection, well, I have a few beers or a glass of wine after work just simply to relax. And then what happens often is a more stressful day at work, so they have to drink a little bit more. Not one martini, now they have two. Not one beer, two, three. More stress, more drink. That is the short road to alcoholism. You don't drink to relieve stress. Why not pray? Why not read the Bible? Or how about Joe Macho that says, hey, me and my buddies, we get together with a whole bunch of beer and watch football, and I say, yeah, and you're acting like an animal. That's not a real man. Let me address you parents here. Teach your children. Give them a good example by abstaining. Remember, you are to be held to a higher level. 
Many of us have heard this kind of story repeated over and over again. Where a father keeps teaching children don't drink and then one night the daughter comes home drunk and the father said, who taught you to do that? Didn't I tell you don't get drunk? And she'll say, daddy, but you drink every day when you come home from work and you're going to condemn me? She's right, but she was wrong to follow the bad example. Children, I am your friend. Let me give you some words of advice. Don't, don't ever drink alcohol, beer, wine. The time will come, your friends will say, have a little drink, this little good feeling, this buzz. Please say no to them. You might say, well, they'll laugh at me. Some of them will respect you for having good standards that they don't have. Learn to say no and walk away. Perhaps someone here has a drinking problem or knows someone that does. Get help. Admit it. Go to your doctor. Come to me and my fellow elders. We're here to help. You or a friend or a relative. Anywhere along that line, drinking a little bit too much or even way too much. Admit it. Someone that was hooked on alcohol said, how did I get into this? How do I get out of this? They feel there's no answer. There is an answer. And here's how we conclude our message with the good news. There is an answer. There are different means of helping. Betty Ford Clinic, detox centers, Alcoholics Anonymous, I don't fully endorse them. They talk about tapping into your higher power, whatever that is. Why not tap into God? They can help to some extent. They can get you off of this in a detox center. They, there are certain medications. Some medications that you take will cause you to react against any liquor, so now you built up a defense mechanism. Perhaps that can help. But what these fail to do is they fail to fill up the vacuum. They can help you get off of liquor, but what's in its place? A person can get off of that, but if he doesn't have something in its place that's stronger, he is tempted to go back to it, and many do. They get off the wagon, and they get back on the wagon, back and forth. They need something else. And the true answer is Jesus Christ. He can free you. I'm a living testimony, and I've known many others. Look at what Jesus did in the Gospels. For those three years, thousands of people came to him for healing, and in that crowd would have been many hardcore alcoholics that were thrown out of the synagogue and their families, and they'd come staggering up to Jesus. Help! Can you help me? And Jesus did help them. It says repeatedly Jesus looked at them and had compassion. That's foreign to us. We see that, that drunk in the gutter. We don't want to look at him. We turn our heads away. Jesus turned his head toward them. I'm sure there were those that he hugged and held up and said, yes, I'm here to help. And he just simply touched them and they were cured instantaneously. Now there may be consequences but Jesus will be there to help. 
1 Corinthians 6.11 lists drunkenness together with these other gross sins. And he says, but such were some of you. You have now been washed and cleansed and justified. That's the old you. Every few years I go back to my hometown in New Orleans and I go to the place where I was saved. And it's like I'm visiting a graveyard and there's a grave that says Kurt Daniel, 1972. And I said, the old Kurt Daniel is dead and gone. I'm not what I used to be, thank God. And that's the answer for anybody that has a drinking problem. There is hope. And the only hope is in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not liquor, but the Holy Spirit. And that's what we'll look at next week. My last word of advice for you, friends, is this. If you drink, please stop. And if you don't drink, don't start. Shall we pray? Father, you have given us strong medicine in these words, and it's for our good. We pray for those that drink, drink too much, and are hooked. We pray, Father, that you would protect the children in this church from alcohol. Father, have mercy on those that cannot say no. Help them to say yes to Jesus. And thank you, thank you for the Lord Jesus and for the filling of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.